Welcome to this week's Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Kate Bailey and Emma Ajimang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and Alex Brandreth, Deputy Chief Investment Officer and Senior Fund Manager at Brown Shipley. Inflation has risen rapidly this year of Consumer Price Index, or CPI inflation hitting 3%, the highest level in five years. And this isn't good news for savers and investors, as inflation can erode the value of certain assets over time, reducing their purchasing power. Emma, you've been looking at this. Which assets are particularly vulnerable to inflation? Well, the one most in line of fire is cash. As you mentioned, inflation erodes the purchasing power of how much cash can buy. So, for example, if inflation is running at 3% for the next 10 years, then £100, which is worth today, will be worth the equivalent of £74 in 10 years' time. Okay, so does that mean you shouldn't have any of your assets in cash? No, it doesn't. In fact, everybody should be holding some form of cash in case of emergencies, like losing your job, for example. And the general rule of thumb is that you should have between three to six months of your monthly outgoings in cash. Okay, so you're saying you should have, let's say, a certain amount in cash, but not everything. The thing is, I mean, if you're a cautious investor and don't like volatility or not unreasonably take the view that markets are high at the moment and it's not a good time to invest, well, what do you do? Well, I mean, it's totally understandable that some investors are more cautious or are worried about high valuations and maybe feel a bit reluctant to invest because of that. But you really need to realise that there is risk to to holding cash. Um, So it's not risk-free. Inflation is going to be eaten into the value of your cash holdings. Um, And so one way in which you can try and get over your worry about um, markets being expensive, for example, is to drip feed money into the market. So by investing small regular amounts, pound cost averaging will mean that some months the value of your investment will buy more when markets um, are cheaper and some months when they're more expensive, they'll buy less. So that's one way of doing it. Okay, that's a really good tactic, actually. Now, we've always been talking about cash um, as um, one problem area. What other types of assets are vulnerable to inflation? The other big one is fixed income, like government bonds. And that's because fixed income, as the name suggests, pays out fixed levels of interest and the capital payment on maturity. And that's regardless of whether inflation is rising or falling, which means that if inflation is rising, then the real value of the return you get back from the bond is worth less due to inflation. Does this mean you should avoid bonds? Um, I think it certainly means you should think carefully about how much you have in this area in an inflationary environment. Because the vol bonds can be, you know, used traditionally for diversification. If interest rates or inflation rise higher than expected, you could see bond prices fall and that might lead to capital loss. Okay. So um, if you are going to have some bonds, what funds could you consider for getting exposure? A good fund would be one that focuses on investing in short duration bonds as they have less exposure to interest rate risk. And one example is GAM Star Credit Opportunities. Okay, now we've been focusing on the assets that inflation isn't good for. So let's now turn to the assets you could perhaps invest in that might be more resilient to inflation. Um, What, uh, you know, what could you consider? Equities are a good way. They're often a powerful way of hedging against inflation. And that's because good companies generally have the ability to increase profits, at least in line with inflation and hopefully above inflation. OK, so you're talking about good companies. Can you elaborate a bit? You know, what kind of equities are good against inflation? 
Well, um, kind of companies that you might want to invest in are those that can grow their profits and dividends, even in the face of inflation. And that means they'll often have strong price and power, which means that even when inflation is rising and their cost prices are rising, they can actually pass that on to their customers. Um, nevertheless, people will still keep buying their products and services, perhaps because they have strong brands or unique products. So companies with strong price and power are one good example. OK, that sounds like a really good place to be. Now, how can you get access to them? Which funds should you buy to get exposure to these companies? Um, there's a few funds out there, but one example is Lion Trust Special Situations Fund, which is run by Anthony Cross and Julian Foch. And they specialise in investing in companies with strong pricing power, strong brands. OK, no, so that's a, a UK equities fund um, with a, a growth mandate. Are there any other types of funds that might be quite good for outpacing inflation? You could also turn to UK or global equity income funds. And they're good because um, the, the value of the yield that you get on the funds can be helpful if you're trying to beat inflation. I mean, if the fund is yielding more than inflation, you're already, you're already outpacing inflation by holding the fund in that way. OK, that's a, a useful suggestion. And uh, do check out our list of IC Top 100 funds for some suggestions on UK and overseas equity income funds. Alex... What's your view of inflation? Do you think that the recent increase is a concern? And even more importantly, is it going to go up further? Uh, so on the first question, is it a concern? It is starting to be a bit of a concern because inflation is greater than wage inflation at the moment. So as a nation, we're all starting to feel slightly poorer. Um, and I think that's starting to come through in some of the consumption numbers that you're seeing as well. So there was a the data point yesterday that was released, which was the CBI, um, which um, fell significantly, which shows that consumption is actually starting to fall in the UK, which is a slightly worrying sign because consumption is a significant part of the UK economy and uh, it's about 70% or so. So it could mean that uh, growth in, in this quarter could be lower than expected. Mm. Um, and so the second part was, uh, do you think it will rise further? I don't think so. Um, I think the Bank of England have also come out and said that this is going to be the peak month because if you're looking at why inflation is higher, it's the impact that sterling's had since the referendum. Um, and that's nearly, well, it is over a year or so ago now, so it should start to drop out the numbers. So we're expecting inflation to start to fall over the next six months or so. Okay, so not all bad news. Um, nevertheless, it's, um, it's, it's not low. Um, Emma was talking about assets that she thought particularly vulnerable. Um, what do you think is, is particularly vulnerable at current levels of inflation? Uh, I think uh, she touched on exactly the right type of assets, being cash and fixed income as being predominant areas where inflation will be concerned because inflation will be higher than the current coupon that you're getting on either cash or fixed income assets. So I think that's absolutely right to be more cautious about those assets at the moment. Okay, is there anything else that you should... Um be concerned about um, other assets that might be priced off that so infrastructure type pr projects are also placed uh, priced off fixed income um, mm. uh, maturities as well so that would be another concern potentially although the yields on offer are higher than inflation so it's kind of offset to a certain extent so I think cash and fixed income are the main ones really yeah now Emma didn't suggest totally avoiding them what's your line do you think you should give cash and bonds a wide berth it depends on the client risk profile and whether you know, they have attitude to risk. So if they're willing to take more risk or not. If you, if you're willing to take more risk, then na naturally there'll be smaller parts of your portfolio anyway. But for a more cautious investor, um, I don't. I wouldn't say avoid them totally because um, 
they do uh, present an offset to portfolios if stock markets were to fall government bonds tend to do well in that environment so it does present some balance to your portfolio and as as we mentioned cash can be used to to drip into markets during times of weakness as well so you can use that as an entry point and it can dampen volatility of the portfolio as well okay now turning to things that might mitigate inflation emma mentioned equities what would you suggest well you want real assets so you want assets that are going to grow with inflation as inflation picks up so equities are an example of real assets um, as are property and commodities and things like that things that you can actually physically touch i suppose it's the also what's important is the type of inflation that you have because if you have this is a one-off inflationary shock, uh, whereas if you have longer-term sustained inflation, that's where you'd want to have more real assets. So I think with inflation falling back down to lower levels over the next few months, um, then I don't think that we need to be thinking about as much real assets in your portfolio. But it's nice to have equities that can have sustainable dividends and can grow those dividends as well over time. Okay. Now, are there any risks or disadvantages to these types of assets? Uh, well, particularly equities, they're, they're clearly higher risk equities. Um, so um, if markets were to come under pressure or there any risks, then could suffer some capital loss. Um, I suppose on the other side as well, if you wanted to mitigate, um, you could buy some index link bonds, which we haven't touched on yet, um, because that would be protecting your purchasing power in the future. Uh, but bonds are, are quite expensive as well mm. because of, as we'll get to later, quantitative easing and other measures that central banks have done as well. Yeah, um, to get exposed to these assets, have any funds that you use of clients? Or? So on the uh, index link perspective, there's a few government bond funds. There's one or two corporate bond funds that you can get exposure to as well. Uh, in equities, um, I'd be looking at an equity income type fund, which is growing, which has a high starting yield, but then can is growing that yield year on year as well. Uh, so uh, J.O. Hambro uh, Capital Management UK Equity Fund's a good fund. Uh, the M&G UK Inflation Link Corporate Bond Fund is another uh, example of that as well. Okay, Alex, thanks for that. Some really good suggestions. And you can see more of Emma's suggestions on assets and funds to beat inflation in this week's magazine and the website. If you're an income investor, you probably take the view that in the current yield-starved environment, you need to look anywhere and everywhere to get a decent yield, with no restraints on what you invest in. But one fund, which invests according to very strict criteria, is beating most of its sector peers in terms of its total returns, and also offers one of the best yields. Kate, you interviewed the manager of this fund. Which is it? So this is Bryn Jones, who's the manager of Rathbone Ethical uh, Bond Fund. And so it's a fund which is a sterling corporate bond fund that invests along ethical criteria. Uh, so he invests in bonds which kind of work with a range of themes, um, which could be kind of political or macroeconomic themes. And then he screens the bonds that he likes along ethical criteria. And that's both negative screening and positive screening, meaning that um, some bonds are kind of initially kicked out if they're involved with industries like gambling, for example. And then every one that they want to put in the portfolio has to have at least one positive kind of social, environmental, whatever, ethical credential um, to be included. OK, um, I mean, that sounds very worthy but it's really picky so how is rathbone ethical bond managing to beat its peers with such tight restrictions and what it can invest in 
Yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, generally people do associate um, ethical bond or ethical investing. I think people have a perception that it's not, you know, a good way to get great returns. But in fact, this is the top performing fund in the um, Investment Association sterling corporate bond sector over one year. Um, I think, well, Bryn would say that for a start, there's, you know, they're really, they have got a big universe to fish in um, and they're looking for great bonds for a start but he would say um, that actually some of the best bonds in terms of environmental and social sustainability are also some of the most kind of exciting economic or investment themes of the future Uh, so if you think about things like driverless cars or clean energy these are things which other global fund managers for example might be investing in too Um, and also if you think about those companies that engage in the most negative practices um, or have really kind of hit headlines for, for all the wrong reasons. Those have not been great investments either, certainly over certain time frames. I mean, it, he gave an example of something like the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Obviously, that share price was really punished following that. And that's an example of a company, you know, not, not doing the most ethical things, um, environmentally speaking. And not making good returns for its investors either at the Quite, time. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so um, what does Ben Jones and his team like then? Well, at the moment, one big area the team is looking at is cybersecurity. Obviously, cyber risk is a massive story at the moment. Um, we've had, uh, you know, several big headlines about it um, in the past couple of years. He's investing in the bonds of insurance companies um, which work in this area. So things like Beasley and Chubb. Um, those are good because they're quite high yielding bonds. And also there aren't that many players in that industry. So, so it's kind of good in terms of supply and demand dynamics. Um, also keen on things like green energy and he likes banks as well because um, they're looking better kind of capitalised and they're on quite high yields. OK. Uh, Alex, do you think you can really make good returns when investing with strict ethical criteria? I suppose what I'm saying is, is this fund the exception or the norm? Uh, well, we know Bryn quite well, actually, at Brown Shipley. He's a fund that we invest with as well. Um, so I, I don't think he's obviously done very well this year relative to his peers, but the, the, there's a number of other examples out there. So he's not the only fund that can do well. Um, and, you know, if you take an, an equity fund, for example, and you think very simplistically about an ethical criteria and what you may buy and what you may, you may not buy, some of the areas that you probably avoid are more mining and oil and gas. And when you think of the problems that you had a few years ago when the oil price fell from $150 down to 30 or so, they were good places to avoid. So those funds tended to do well in that environment. Uh, other funds as well over time have shown that ethical uh, criteria can benefit. So if you're very, very strict and you say you avoided banks and financials, that may be in a, way good, a very good way to deliver returns in a financial crisis as well if you'd avoided those areas. So there's definitely some good products out there that can help um, and deliver superior returns. Okay. Um, so is, do you think having an ethical screen is a good way to weed out and savoury companies? Because uh, at the end of the day, even if you're not an ethical investor, presumably you want to put your money into companies with good governance. Yeah, it's been a very much a growing area and a lot of the fund managers that we meet on, a, on an ongoing basis are saying that they're adding ESG screening, so environment, environmental, social and, and governance to their, their process now. Uh, so I think it's a good way of finding good businesses um, and, and sustainable businesses as well. 
Okay, so um, you mentioned you know Bryn, uh, but there's other products as well. Um, so are there any ethical funds that you like or use of your clients? So we use a variety of, of active and passive type vehicles for our clients in this environment. Um, and we're trying to build diversified portfolios, so in different regions and different asset classes as well. Uh, so there's the uh, Royal London Sustainable Leaders, which is a good fund, which is in, in uh, the UK equity income, uh, UK or company sector, sorry. Um, so that's one example. Um, and more recently, some of the passive funds that we've been buying at UBS have got quite a good range, as of iShares, of uh, passive ESG-type products. Which I believe Kate has written about in the magazine, so check our website to read more on those. Now, Kate, ethical criteria aside, Rathbone Ethical Bond is a corporate bond fund, but aren't there some concerns on this area of the market? Well, yeah, I mean, generally, the big things affecting bonds at the moment, or in general terms, are interest rate rises, inflation, and also issues around liquidity. Uh, the corporate bond market, we do hear a lot of concerns about it being very expensive. Um, and there's also a worry about liquidity. Uh, Bank of England itself recently talked about this, about being very concerned about what happens if everybody wants to sell at the same time and kind of rush for the exits. And in fact, in the widest terms as well. There is also this big worry about what happens um, around the end of QE and as interest rates rise. Um, Until now, it's been very cheap to borrow money across the board because rates have been very low. That means for even the most high-risk borrowers, uh, life has been pretty easy and they've been able to borrow very cheaply, take on quite a lot of debt. The big worry is if we do get a rate rise and we have this tapering of easy money that's gone alongside it, people will find it harder to service that debt and it could trip things up. What Bryn says is that um, you know he can obviously withstand this kind of volatility and actually benefit from higher yields. The big worry will be is if we've had a load of investors who have moved out of the corporate bond space, which has been kind of um, bid up by Bank of England bond buying, We've had investors move out of that into higher yield products, um, which would, could then suffer from things like defaults. So it's a complex picture, but you know there's, there's a lot of things going on here. He basically says he could benefit from this volatility as a bond fund manager um, and benefit from potentially higher yields. Okay. Now, Alex, are you concerned about the effects quantitative easing has been having and what the fallout will be when it's withdrawn? Well, quantitative easing has pushed bond yields down to all-time low levels, so the, there is rightly concern that when this easing stops that the yields are going to start to move back higher. I don't share that view. I think bonds are just going to trade sideways here, and you've lost some of the momentum momentum that you've had over the years to, to keep bonds moving lower. Um it's very topical at the moment. The ECB were even talking about it mm-hmm. yesterday. Tapering, uh, yes. Exactly. Uh, the US are talking about actually reducing the size of the balance sheet as well. And clearly we've got an interest rate hike potentially next week in the UK. Um, so it is it is very top- topical at the moment. Um, I suppose the underlying reason why people are doing this though and central banks are doing this is because it's a sign that growth around the world is, is very strong at the moment. Um, so despite the concerns that, um, uh, that QE is going to be reversed and stopped is... Now, equally, growth, growth is strong, which is good for businesses as well. Okay, so what position does this put corporate bonds and the funds that invest in them into? So it does potentially mean that if if some investors are nervous, which they will be with interest rates rising, that you might want to be in shorter data bonds that we talked about before. But there's there are bond funds out there that can mitigate these risks and can be investing in different asset classes and globally as well, which can perform well in this environment. And some managers uh, like Bryn do like periods of volatility because it gives them opportunity to add new positions as well.
Okay, so on that note, of any types of bonds and bond funds that you like? Um, strategic bond funds, because they tend to be shorter maturity bonds as well. They tend to be more global. They, can, As I mentioned, they can invest in different asset classes. So if they like high yield because they think it's offering value, they can invest there. Equally, if they're nervous, they can increase their government bond exposure. So there's a number of good strategic bond funds out there which can offer some protection and deliver good returns in this environment. Okay, so which ones do you particularly like? Uh, we've got a few on our investment list at Brown Shipley. So we've got uh, Viva, Henderson, Jupiter. They're all they're all very good funds. Okay, thank you, Alex. Some really good suggestions again. Now, as well as bond market concerns, many investors are not comfortable with the heady levels that certain equity markets are hitting, with those in the US being notable examples. But Kate, you recently met an investor who argues the opposite. Who is this and why doesn't he think markets are expensive or too expensive? So this is Charles Plowden, senior partner at Baby Gifford and manager of Monk's Investment Trust. So he's arguing that actually if you look at the long-term trend of the S&P and map it on a, on a logarithmic scale, so if you look at it a little bit differently, um, it's actually close to its long-term average and it's not overvalued. He says the long-term trend is that the S&P rises by about 7% per year annualised and it's done that for 90 years apparently. So he's saying, you know, this is all a bit over overcooked these years. Okay, so as he has this view um, and he's not obviously jittery like some investors what approach is he taking and what sort of things is he investing in well bailey gifford as a house has a quite a growth focused kind of i guess bullish view on the economy what they look for is asymmetric returns from their stocks so that means that they buy they want to buy things that go up by a lot and they don't mind owning some things that that fail as a result so it's quite a kind of um bullish attitude to stocks and it means that they invest in very high growth things like the tech giants that we hear talked about a lot um you know amazon facebook and all of those kind of things um that we might think are standing on very high valuations you know they argue that some of these stocks have the potential to really grow exponentially and that's what they're looking for um so he also wants to gear the trust more in order to really increase that exposure to markets and take on bigger positions. It's basically, you know, the, the opposite to a very... When you say gearing, you mean he's taking on debt, to put it in layman's terms. Exactly, yeah. he's taking yeah. on debt. Um, historically, Monks had had a period of underperformance before Charles took over as manager in March 2015. Um, and he puts down some of that underperformance to a lack of debt, to being too cautious. And so what he's trying to do is bring that level up so it, the trust is essentially more exposed to the market positions it takes. OK. Now, Alex, um, are you concerned at the levels equity markets have reached and do you think a crash is imminent? Um, I'm not concerned at the moment um, because global growth is strong and I don't think valuations globally are too stretched. I think you know, markets are at all-time highs, but over time you do expect st- uh, companies to grow earnings and to be to become more expensive because of that as well. Uh, the, I don't think there's a crash imminent, but sometimes you never know when these things are going to happen because there might be an event risk, there might be something that happens that, that could cause a shock to markets. Uh, that's not our central case at the moment, but no, it definitely could happen. Okay, so presumably are you, are you avoiding anywhere or not avoiding anywhere? Or? No, we're not avoiding anywhere at the moment. Um, so we are invested across most global um, stock markets. Um, I suppose the US is an area where we've been we've become slightly more cautious because it is more elevated on multiple on PE levels, um, so price to earnings levels compared to other global stock markets. Um, but there's other areas that we like as well. So there's emerging markets, which we believe are quite, 
well positioned and look quite cheap relative to other global markets as well. Okay, thank you, Alex. Some useful pointers. And you can read Kate's full interview of Charles Plowden in this week's magazine and the website. That brings us to the end of today's show, but you can read more about ways to beat inflation, why Rathbone Ethical Bond Fund is outperforming, and how Monk's Investment Trust is positioned in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.